So I never leave sermon prep to the last minute ever um, or anything like that. Um, so this morning I asked Cordelia a question. I asked her what sin was, and she said uh, the long, the, the short of it was that it was lying, but uh, I got to talk to her about that because obviously there's more you can do to sin than lie. But but she talked about how, um, she's five by the way, We she's still in that stage where maybe sometimes there might be some accidents. So in the beginning of school, we would send an extra pair of clothes just in case. Well, Cordelia, you notice that extra pair of clothes, and unbeknownst to us, she's a huge fan of wardrobe changes. Uh, likes them a lot, in fact. Why wear the same clothes all day when you have two outfits? So she would um, lie to her teacher and tell her teacher, I, I wet myself. And uh, she'd do that so she could take her extra pair of clothes one time. No, she admitted to me she did it more than once. She'd done it a couple times. So... She's not a liar. Will you calm down? My wife's eight months pregnant. I'm bringing this up, and she takes everything about our kids extra personally, like I have nothing to do with them. I'm just saying, I, the lying part of her probably was because of me, is all I'm throwing out there. It had nothing to do with my wife. She lies because I'm a terrible father. Better? Good. So she, she tells these little lies where, uh, you know, I'm, hey, I wet myself. I can change clothes. It's going to be great. Wardrobe change. Look at me now. Um, and then I asked her, I said, well, how can we not sin? And she's like, well, don't lie, right? Kids always have a, a great way of succinctly explaining things to you. If you sin, it's because you did something bad and you don't want to sin. Just don't do it. Um, I wish it was that easy. As adults, you, you kind of grow up and you understand a little bit that while we all wish it was as easy as just, well, just don't do it, sometimes we know better and we still do it. And we're going to be talking today about how we can have dominion over sin. We're going to be looking at Psalm 19, continuing our, our, our series in Psalms. And um, a quick note about the Psalms, okay? Uh, they are from the heart. It's some of the greatest literature in the history of writing. And Christian or not, I think that um, they should be read by everybody. But for Christians, they have a unique perspective. They teach us how to talk to God, how to respect God, and yet be honest with God. Um, you see the very honest outpourings of people's hearts in Psalms, how they're feeling right then in the moment, whether it's despair and anguish and anger at God, or it's complete... Um, and utter awe of who God is. It's just pure expressions of, of, of what God is and who God is to people. And as Christians, we all need to be able to communicate with God that way. And so I would encourage you, if you're not in the reading plan, to, to pick up the reading plan. It's been going through Psalms. And Psalm, the book of Psalms, really um, the, the multiple chapters in the books of Psalms, they, they taught me as a young Christian man and individual how to talk to God. And I think that they can do that for you too. And so I just want to encourage you to pick that up and, and get into that reading plan if you haven't and, and participate in that. But as I said, we are going to be in Psalm 19. I'm going to read through the whole thing for you. One of the awesome things about Psalms too is that they are um, a performance, yet they are 100% sincere, okay? I used to have this Bible professor at Evangel who would read things like they were like his words, his feelings. His, I mean, and it, it was crazy. He looked crazy. He knew it. He didn't care. But he, he gave you a way uh, to where you could actually feel what was being read. That's not me. So I'm going to do my best. I'm just going to read it. But uh, you follow along. We do have an, app, uh, an event in the Bible app if you have that or follow along in your Bible. 
with me and, and we'll get to it. But this is what Psalm 19 has to say. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech and night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard for them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuits to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect at refreshing the soul. The statues of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart, and the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. But, and this is the part where he starts to pray. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servants also from willful sins. May they not overrule me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and redeemer. So the first six verses of chapter 19 really build a foundation for the claims that David makes in the next four. Okay, so the first one through six, they make the foundation for verses seven through 11. And verses one through six are really like the skill section of God's resume. Okay, I want you to picture this. Dave, you interview people sometimes, right? So can you imagine Dave interviewing God? And so I see here that you've pitched a tent for the sun. Tell me about that right? So he's making all these grandiose claims about God, showing his power and his might and his control over creation. And it says some very important things to us that we need to understand. The first thing that I want us to know about uh, 19 and about nature in general is that God's creation shows us who God is, okay? His creation shows us who God is. If we look at verses 1 and 2, it tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies show the work of his hands. Now, the word declare in this verse. Um, I'm going to bore you maybe for a second, but the Hebrew participle used here denotes ongoing action. Okay, that's important because when it says that the heavens declare the glory of God, it's not just saying that they did declare or that they are declaring or that they're going to. It's saying all three. Okay, it's saying that the heavens did declare the glory of God. They do declare the glory of God. and In the future, they will. And so as Christians and individuals and humans, we know who God is by nature, by creation. And so no one has an excuse, right? It talks about how God pitched a tent for the sun. He made a home in the sky for the sun, and the sun shines on all people, and no one is void of their light. That's God saying you don't have an excuse. Because if you, if you take the time to study nature, you will see who God is. You will see without doubt who God is. You look, and there's an order to everything in our world, right? One of the things that I think about when I, when I think of this is I think about the relationship between human beings and plants. Okay, so humans, what's the one thing that we need more than anything else to survive? Oxygen. Now, what do plants need in order to make food that we give? Say it louder. 
There you go, carbon dioxide, right? We breathe out carbon dioxide. Plants need that as part of their food-making process. And when they do that, they give off oxygen, which we need to breathe. And as we look at creation, every little part of creation does its job in serving another part of creation throughout the life cycle of whatever it may be. Now we can look at that and we can say thousands of years ago or millions of years ago, I'm not going to argue with you on that, there was this big bang and it all happened by accident. Or we can look at creation and see what David's saying here and say, I look at creation, I see the order of things, I see how everything serves something else, and I see how we as humans have dominion over everything like the Bible says that we do, and understand that there's a creator. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, one of the most, um, in my mind, intelligent theologians out there, not alive any longer, but more recent to us than the Apostle Paul and all those guys, right? He, he, he makes an argument um, that science and religion don't have to be exclusive, right? That one strengthens the other. Religion strengthens science, and science strengthens religion. And so that's the case because God's the creator of the world, and throughout science, we see the creative process taking place. And God reveals himself to us through that. It tells us, it goes on to say that the skies are the works of his, the works of his hands. You guys ever seen the label handcrafted on anything when you go shopping? You ever notice how that's like way more expensive than something that's not handcrafted? Right, but what does handcrafted tell us? It tells us that somebody took their time in making that creation. It tells us that somebody literally, with their hands, created this thing in front of us and put it together. That it wasn't just run through some machine, that somebody made it a work of their heart and that they put in extra effort to make sure that whatever this product was, it was handcrafted and, and we could have it. It speaks to the thoughtfulness of the creation. Right, so this is telling us that creation didn't just happen. It wasn't some accident. It was handcrafted by God. He put a lot of thought into what he did for us. Verses 3 and 4 tell us that day after day they, they pour forth speech. It's talking about the skies and the heavens. Night after night they reveal knowledge. And then it tells us they have no speech. When I first read that, I said, okay. <laughs> Use no words. No sound is heard from them. Uh, yet their voices, they go out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. You ever heard the saying, a picture is worth a thousand words? A picture is worth a thousand words? So that's what is being denoted here, right? It's, it's not saying that literally the sky is going to be like, good morning, Phil. You know, how's it going? But if we take the time to view nature and view the heavens and see the stars and look at the sun and watch a bird and see how it fits in nature, we start to see... God in those things. If you want to know God, study the heavens. There's order and majesty, and yet there's so much mystery. Um, and when you study the heavens, like I said, you see that it's not an accident. God's glory shines over the entire earth. Okay, shines over the entire earth. That means that he wanted us to know him. We, he wanted us to know of his existence. And not just that, but that he, he's excited for us to know who he is. Look, look at verses 5 and 6, okay? It says, it's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion ready to race. It, it rises on one end of the heavens and it goes to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Now, 
I'm not going to take this too far, but I am going to tell you it's exactly how it sounds. Right? This is the bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like on his wedding day being like, hey, here I am. Right? The sun is up every morning, ready and raring to go to shine its light on you and to let you see its warmth. That is an exact representation of what God wants you to feel from Him in your life. He wants you to feel His presence every day, every morning, throughout the day. And it says it's like a, a champion ready to run his race, right? Think of those guys. I always think of like Usain Bolt and, and pretty much anybody else. They're all in the starting blocks and they're focused. They don't look anywhere. They're staring. You know, they're shaking things out. I was never a sprinter in case you needed to know that. Um, I've won like three races to, in my life and the fridge was involved. Um, and I was happy to win. Uh, but not a sprinter. But, but other people are. And so if you watch them, you see how like much anticipation they have. And a lot of times there's false starts in these races, right? Because, I mean, they are just ready to jump out of the blocks. They are going to win. They're going to run faster. Nobody's going to catch them. And a lot of times they get too excited. They go too soon. Well, that's what God also is wanting to see. Look, I am excited to shine light on you. I'm excited to be part of your life. I want you to know me. I've put this creation out there, not just for you to enjoy, not just for you to look at, not for you to just say, oh, look at that sunset, it's pretty. But because when you see those things, I want you to see in the very midst of them, me. So David is talking about all these great things that God has done in creation. And he's saying, look at this creation. God is telling you that he exists. And then in verses 7 through 11, he makes some pretty amazing claims. Okay? Because if God's creation shows us who God is, his glory and his eternity and his power, then his word shows us how to be like him. And that's what David is wanting us to understand in the next four verses. In the next four verses, this is what we hear from David. We are told that the word of God is perfect, it's perfect, it refreshes the soul. We're told that it's trustworthy, that it gives wisdom. We're told that it's right. It gives joy to the heart. That it's radiant. That it provides light to the eyes. We're told that the Word of God is firm and righteous. They're, they're, uh, they're no, uh, they're, they are more precious than gold, right? It says than much more gold in the NIV. I don't know why they couldn't just say the purest. But than the purest gold. And sweeter than, than honey fresh off the comb. We're told that the Word of God shows a path of righteousness and there's a great reward in following it. Because of who creation shows he is, we can trust what the Word of God says it will do. And so today we're looking at how do, how do we conquer sin? How do we have dominion over sin? Because sin is a struggle, right? If it was so easy not to sin, no one would do it. There would be no sin. We'd all be living in the garden, butt naked, and we wouldn't know any better. If that happened now, everybody would run from this building. <laughs> but here we are in, in, in the absolute purest of ways. God's saying, listen, here I am. Look around you. You know me. Now listen to my words. 
Now listen to my words. If you want to conquer sin, if you want to get over sin, you need to hear my words and, and listen to those words and meditate on those words. There's a principle in my life that I know to be true. And I know to be true because I've lived my life two ways. I've lived my life as if God didn't exist and I was miserably unhappy. And I've lived my life as if God did exist and I've been in my word every day and I've meditated on what it had to say and I've been in prayer daily and I've seen the difference that it has made in my attitude and the respect that I have for others and the respect that I had for women and the respect I had for my own body. And it completely changed my life. So I know it to be true that the more God that you partake of and the more God that you bring into your heart and into your soul, the more God that comes out. And then I've gone from not living as if God existed to living as if God existed knowing He existed to living as if God existed knowing He existed but not being disciplined in my word and in prayer and in my relationship like I should be. And I've seen that difference. And it's not pretty. And I feel it. And it's a weight on my soul. But if I live as if I'm in a relationship with God, which is all He wants us to do, then I know that daily I get a little bit more like Him. None of us are perfect. We know that. Okay? None of us are. David's prayer in verses 12 and 13, uh, it's a prayer, it's an honest realization. This is what he says. It says, but who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Who can discern their own errors, right? Forgive hidden faults. Truthfully, truthfully, I think we all probably have sin in our lives that we're not 100% aware of, right? Because the human mind has a way of justifying its actions, even something you know that maybe you shouldn't have done, you can find a way to justify it. Well, I shouldn't have yelled at her like that, but she really had it coming because of this, 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 and this. And so I'm justified and my actions are righteous and it's okay. And David understood that. He understood that, God, there may be sins in my life that I'm not quite aware of. And we see this later in his life, right? Think of him in Bathsheba. Now, if you ask David, David, if you see another man's wife bathing on a rooftop and you bring her into your house because you find her attractive and you lay with her and then you send her husband out to the battlefront, put him on the front line so he dies, that's a sin. And David would look at you and say, no, duh. And yet, David did it anyways. And then after David's confronted with his actions, we see David repent, right? And mourn and change his clothes into sackcloth, like rags, and cover himself in dust. And what does God say? David's a man after my own heart. Uh, David just took another man's wife. He laid with her, had the man killed. David's a man after your own heart. So how can someone sin like that and be a man after God's own heart. See, I struggle with that in life because I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I'm a sinner. I have sinned before. Yesterday. At some point, 
I don't even want to get into specifics. I don't know them necessarily. I'm just telling you I'm sure I did. And the day before that, and the day before that, and the day before that, and the day before that. And sometimes there are sins that I really struggle with that I know I should overcome and that I shouldn't do and that I should be bigger than, and yet they still happen. And I've had literal conversations with myself in the mirror thinking, God called you to preach and you are a dirty sinner. You're disgusting. You don't deserve it. How could you do this? And then I'm reminded of David. And I'm reminded that God understands that none of us are perfect. Right? None of us are perfect. The third thing I want you guys to understand, that controlling sin in your life, it's a pursuit. It's something that we pursue. None of us are perfect. None of us are ever going to get to the point where it's just like, my name's Paul, I don't sin, you're welcome. All right? Sinned right there. <laughs> okay, but none of us are getting to that point. And God knows that. God knows that. But defeating sin in our life, it's a pursuit. It's a constant process of trying to be more like God, trying to be more like Christ, trying to follow that golden rule where we treat others how we want to be treated. Okay? Loving our neighbor as ourselves and loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That is what Christianity is all about. That's what life is about. It's, it's about trying to be godly. Because God knows sin entered this world and he knows that we can't be perfect. And if he didn't, he wouldn't have ever sent his son to die on a cross and forgive our sins. Which I'm telling you happened. And so if you sin in your life, I'm telling you right now here today that there is forgiveness for you. That's hard to comprehend a lot of the times because as people, we aren't always the most forgiving. I know that, that, that I'm not. A lot of times in my life, I've lived by the three-strike rule. Right? It's baseball. Some of you guys don't know anything about sports, so I'm going to explain this. You get three strikes during an at-bat, and you're out. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> but there have been times in my life where I looked at people and I've said, you wronged me once, it's forgiven. You've wronged me twice, I'm not happy about it, but it's forgiven. You wronged me a third time, and I don't know you anymore. I'm so glad that God does not treat me that way. And I'm constantly in a process of working past that because I know that's not godly and that I need to forgive people as God has forgiven me. And I know this God exists because I see Him in nature and I know what God is like because I can read it in His Word and I know that I can pursue and conquer certain sins in my life because I can pray with God and I can have a relationship with God. And that's what this is all about. Prayer in our daily lives makes a difference. A relationship with God requires communication, just like a relationship with everybody else requires communication. Now, I can understand that God certainly can speak to you. To you, as clear as day, you may hear God say something to you. I won't doubt that. I have felt that in my life before and I will not say to anybody that God is not going to speak words to you. But I am going to say that a lot of times when we feel like God hasn't said anything to me and I'm asking prayer and I'm looking for an answer and I'm seeking for an answer and He's like, look to your left. But I want an answer. Yeah, look, look to your left. 
He gave us an entire Bible that reveals his character and reveals the way that he thinks about things and provides all sorts of answers to things in our lives and we ignore it. I'm guilty of it too. I'm not, I'm not sitting up here like I'm in my Bible all the time, every time, and it's great and I've got the whole thing memorized and ask me a verse, I'll tell you. Because I don't and I can't. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. There you go. Okay? I know that verse. But I am telling you that God, more than anything, just wants you to want Him. That's how easy a relationship with God is. God wants you to want Him. And prayer is an integral part of that relationship. Just like nature, it's a symbiotic thing where God gives to us and, and we give to God. And if we understand that, then we can start to, to overcome the things in our life. See, that God who on his resume has that whole I made a home for the sun thing, he's on our side. And he wants us to be able to conquer sin in our life. And he's, he's paved a way that we can do that. And the best part is he's paved a way that when we can't do that, he's given us a way to be forgiven. Understand that, that life with, with God, a Christian life, is not a life of perfection. It's not a life of feeling guilty all the time either. It's a life where when you fall down, God picks you back up, you're forgiven, you brush yourself off, and you continue down the path of trying to overcome your sin. And prayer is a major part of that, and the Word is a major part of that. And if we just look around our world, we will see God, and we will see opportunities to serve God, and we will see ways that God is serving us. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, I come to you right now. I, I thank you so much for who you are, for what you do in our lives. I thank you for the fact that you love us. That you understand that perfection is not something that we will ever obtain. And that you don't even seek that from us. God, what you want from us is a hunger and a thirst to be more like you. To be, to be righteous like you. To, to be in relationship with you. And God, you provide ways, obvious ways, for us to know that you are here, for us to know what you're like, for us to know how we should be in our relationship with you and in our relationships with others. God, I pray that through imperfect words spoken today, that through imperfect analogies and imperfect communication, that people just see you and they know you and they, they see how they can be like you and in relationship with you. God, if there's anybody out there today that, that does not know you, that says, look, I can see how there is a God, but I don't know him. You talked about a relationship this morning, and I don't have one. God, I, I pray that you just put it on their hearts to come speak with me this morning or to grab somebody else that they know and, and just talk to them about that. God, you make it clear that we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. 
but you sent your son so that we can have eternal life. So that when we keep your statutes and we, we, we keep to your word, as you tell us in Psalm 19, there's a great reward, and that word, reward is getting to spend eternity with you. God, I pray that you let people feel forgiveness this morning. Allow them not just to forgive themselves for the sins in their life, but allow them and break them down to forgive others of the sins that have been committed against them. Because God, every sin is committed against you and you don't hold a record of wrongs. As long as, as long as we have that relationship with you, as long as we can admit our wrong, seek you out, and believe what your word tells us. That's my prayer for everyone this morning, God, that they know you. In your son's name I pray, amen. I'm going to be in the back right over here to the my left. This is Nell, so that's left. I'll be right over here. Um, if you need to speak about anything, if you just need to pray, I've got two ears, I can listen, we can pray. Okay? I'll be there. There'll be some other people in the back. There'll be people around you. Grab somebody. Don't leave today without having some sort of meeting with God if it's needed. All right?